Thank you so much for joining Vertical Church Online today. We're so happy to be in our series, Real Life. Pastor Brian is bringing a great message. We can't wait for you to listen. Here's Pastor Brian. Loving, loving this day already, amen? So last week was quite the week here at Vertical. We started the day um, anticipating baptizing five. And if you were here, you know that um, a young lady showed up, a friend of Sarah Foxen, who was married yesterday right here. It was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. <clears throat> and her friend came in that she works with and said, I, this is the only Sunday I've been able to get off of work. I really want to be baptized. So she had no change of clothes. She just came in and said, I want to be baptized. I talked with her for just a moment. Her story was real. She truly had placed her faith in Jesus Christ. We brought her on stage and baptized her with the others. That made six. We finished the service out, dismissed, started sacking chairs. A young man came in. Tracy was his name. He's here this morning. And he said, I got here as fast as I could. I want to be baptized. Lord, what is going on here? This is awesome. I talked with him just a moment. His story was real. He had first been a part of Vertical when we had our men's event back in February. And he came then. And God's been working in his life since then. And so we brought him on stage and baptized him as well. What started as five ended up as seven. I know some of you got away and didn't get to see that, but man, we grabbed a microphone. Hey, everybody, come on back here for just a moment. And we did that last week. I just thought of the passage there in Acts where the, the, they were traveling on the road and the man wanted to be baptized. He said, hey, here's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? And we saw that last week. What, what a beautiful story and what, what a great thing God is doing. So our series, Real Life, we've been talking about R-E-A-L life is R-E-E-L life, real life. I've made it clear up front, I am not a fisherman. That's not my thing. So I've done some fishing, grew up in Oak Cliff, cane pole and a bobber and earthworms out at Mountain Creek Lake, right? So that's, that's my experience. A little bit down at Lake Whitney with my cousins and a, a spoon bait lure thing. I don't even know all the right terms. So um, I've had to lean on uh, other fisher guys here to help me. So this is Nick's bag that he takes fishing with him. One of them, right, Nick? That's the only one. He's condensed it all down. So I said, Nick, send me some, uh, some lures and stuff. So you know, he sends me all this stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in here. I have no clue what it all is. It looks a lot like the aisle at uh, Academy that I don't go down very often. Uh, in fact, I found out there's two of those aisles this week. There's a lot of stuff. It's crazy the amount of lures that there are today for fishing. And uh, I, I read some statistics online that said that 77% of people that fish use some type of artificial lure. Uh, man, they're missing out on earthworms. So, <laughs> so I look at, you know, down that aisle, I look here in Nick's box and I see all this stuff. I, okay, well that looks like a minnow, but it's just floppy and wiggly and it's got this massive hook. There's some seaweed on the bottom of that or something, whatever that is, algae or something. And I see, uh, you know, silvery green little things like this. There's some bright yellow neon for um, those disco nights for fishing, I guess. I don't know what that is. And then uh, looks like a frog. There you go. 
and uh, some hooks ingeniously hidden right there on the sides, I guess. You'd have to catch a big fish. That looks about the size of the fish I catch, really, so <laughs> it's big. And then, uh, look at that. Looks like a, uh, what we call crawdads around here, right? Yeah. So that's just one box. And of course, over here, Nick's got a lot more. Some that you think, I'm not even sure that looks, well, there's two of them together. Look at that. At least I recognize that. Ah, that is not worth my time. So, well, what happened to this poor guy? He got his nose cut off. I don't know. It's red. There's hooks. There's a lot of hooks. I don't know what you'd catch with all of these, but they look incredibly designed to catch something. This one, that's long. That's real long. He's got this little thing under his nose here, something, some hooks and all kind of stuff going on. Some of you fishermen are like, that guy's a jerk up there. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't. I'm just admitting that up front. A lot of stuff, but what I can see is that every one of these has been uniquely crafted and engineered. Every one of these. I mean, there's some... In intentionality going on here to look like a crawfish, to be blue, to be wiggly, and all of that. There's some intentionality going on here to be this size, that color. It's kind of, uh, it, looks, it looks just like a minnow on the side here. It kind of has that silver fish look thing going on. They have designed. They've been colored. They have had a, a unique weight given to them, a unique size given to them. They have been designed so that they'll move through the water in a very specific way in order to attract a fish, to create desire in the fish for the fish to want to take a bite, right? Every one of them is designed, and there are untold numbers of lures. And I think, okay, well, all that I saw at Academy you know, multiply that times the number of different places in our country that you could go fishing, and it's probably different. Imagine if you went, you know, up the East Coast somewhere, if they had an academy there, there would be a different set of lures there because there's a different set of fish there. All of them uniquely engineered, designed with intentionality of trying to catch a fish. They know exactly what each fish desires, needs, so they craft a lure engineer a lure with the right material, the right color, the right design, the right hook, the right way that it moves through the water, the, white, the right way that it appears, whether it's going to go low in the water, stay near the top of the water, whether it's going to be for murky water, clear water, they're all uniquely designed to catch a specific fish in a specific set of circumstances, right? And great fishermen have a great supply of lures, this is far more than I ever had. This is way outside my league. But it's a truth. Great fishermen have a great supply of lures. It's what they have. It's what they need for fishing. So let me get this kind of big point on screen here. Great fishermen have a great supply of lures. There's a very spiritual point here that we're going to see today. Because all of us have a story. All of us have ways that God has worked in our life. And he does it with intention. Our story today comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there into the New Testament. There's Matthew, then there's Mark. It's the second book. If you've got your Bible app, you can click there. Mark chapter 5, I'll start in verse 1. There's a great story here about 
something real that happened. This is not just a made-up story. This is not a parable. This was a true story that happened. It involves Jesus and the disciples in an early part of his ministry. Let me give you a little bit of a setting of where we are in, uh, in Mark chapter 4. Um, Jesus had had a day with the disciples and they get into a boat after that and they head out across the water to a place that Jesus has chosen that they are going to go to. Uh, I, just, I just imagine every place that Jesus went to was with intentionality and design. Every one of them. The disciples may not have realized it. They may have thought this was random, but it never was. It was always uniquely designed. So they head out across this water And while they are going out, a storm rises. It's been a long day, so Jesus is in the boat, and he's sleeping. But the disciples panic because the storm is treacherous. It's bigger than they had seen, bigger than what they were prepared for. They think they're about to lose their lives. So they wake Jesus up like, hey, can't you do something? Can't you see we're dying here? Jesus stands up, speaks peace to the storm. Water's calm. And then they arrive at the beginning of our story today. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Let me just tell you up front, Jesus is about to go fishing. He's not going to fish for fish. He's about to fish for men. And Jesus is the ultimate fishing guide. He's the one you want to watch. He's the one you want to take note of. So today, let's watch carefully what Jesus does, how he does this. He's going fishing, and it's important for us to see how he does this. So they arrive here on this shore country of the Gadarenes. It's interesting, there's a, it's a reference to the people, the Gadarenes, from a very specific city, Gadara. And they are from there. And that city is part of a larger group of cities that later this passage will call the Decapolis. Ten city region. They all share the same culture, beliefs, ideas, currency, and so they are united, Decapolis. They are a group of cities and are made up of people who really don't see eye to eye with the Jewish way of life. In fact, they're very opposed to it, antagonistic toward it. They are pagan. They don't worship the one true God. They don't want to have anything to do with his temple. In fact, if you were to read back through history, though it's not recorded in scripture, history records that about 160 years earlier, one of their leaders, Antiochus, offered a pig on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, which was highly, highly offensive to the Jews because it was an unclean animal. They were that antagonistic toward the Jews. They were a religion that was, they were a people that was filled with religion, but pagan religion. Temples abounding, but they were all to false gods. 
And they were involved in all kind of odd worship to these gods. They believed the gods were angry and that you had to appease them. So they offered sacrifices. They offered pigs in sacrifice. They sometimes even offered their own children in sacrifice in hopes that the gods would cause things to go well, that their crops would grow, that their businesses would prosper. They were a very pagan, wicked people. Gross immorality combined in their worship. Wicked people, demonic spirits ruling the land. So it's understandable that when Jesus shows up, the first person who greets them The first person who shows up and has something to say is a man who is consumed with, in this verse it says, an unclean spirit. We're going to find out it was was massive and disastrous what this man had inside him. You know, some even believe that the storm that Jesus and the disciples faced on the way to this land was provoked by the unclean spirits not wanting Jesus to come anywhere near their land. This was their region. They had strongholds, and in this man is one of them. I don't know if you've ever met anyone whom you thought was overcome with some kind of evil. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you all of a sudden felt like there is an evil presence in this room, but this stuff is real. And this man, we're going to see his story. Something had happened. Something had brought him to a place where he would be in the condition that he is. The story continues verse 3. This man, it says, who had his dwelling among the tombs. He can't live in town with the rest of the people. He lives out among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. This man had been filled with anger, violence, bitterness, rage. They had tried to control him but couldn't. And so he was pushed out of town, forced to live among the tombs. He's out of control. The rest of verse 4 says, and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. This man was wildly out of control. Whatever restraints they put him in, he broke out of them. No one, no one could tame him. Verse five, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, and cutting himself with stones. Look at the severity of this. Always, night and day. Always, night and day. Can you imagine someone filled with such rage, anger, terror, that they just scream endlessly? They are out of control. They are hurting themselves. They've hurt others. This is where this man is. 
We don't know the backstory. We don't know what happened to this man, but something got him to this place. Something happened along the way. I can't imagine what evil, what abuse he must have gone through to get to this place. But something had happened to this man. I don't know if he had been physically abused, emotionally abused, spiritually abused, forced into behavior he did not want to be a part of, forced to do things that frightened him, forced to do things that were against everything that he knew even in his conscience was right. We don't know what happened, but what we do know is that his response to it all, to all the pain, whatever it was, to all the words that were said to him, whatever they were, to all the physical violence he must have faced, whatever it was, his response to all of that was to turn to anger, bitterness, rage, and the voices that spoke to him, violence. Those spirits were speaking to him. Something caused it, and this was his response to it. He gave in to every evil thought that came his way. And just like we as believers choose to open our hearts to Jesus and allow him to rule and reign in our hearts, there are some who open their hearts to evil and allow it to reign in their hearts. And when you do that, and you continue to do that, you get someone like this, who is uncontrollable, who desperately needs hope and help, but no one has been able to help him. He's a man that's been cast off, cast out, rejected, and removed. But Jesus shows up to this man. And know this, Jesus doesn't show up anywhere randomly. He shows up intentionally. And he shows up here, verse 6. It says, when this man, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. It's hard to know at this point who is talking, whether it's the demons in the man, the evil spirits in the man, or the man himself. Whatever, whoever is speaking, they recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has authority and power, and he is bowed to Jesus. Not in loving submission, but in fearful submission. Verse 8 says, For he said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he, Jesus, asked him, What is your name? And he answered saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. This is one of the most frightening verses to me in the New Testament. The word legion 
was something this man would have understood being in Roman territory. A legion was a, a regiment of soldiers that usually included some 5,000 soldiers, a multitude of other servants and assistants that could have well reached 10,000 plus. If you said legion, it was understood you were talking about some 10,000 people. And here is a man possessed with an unclean evil spirit and when, when he's asked by Jesus, what is your name? What is your identification? What are you known as? The Spirit says legion. He had to have been filled with thousands and thousands of evil spirits that were ruling over his life. Hatred, anger, greed, lust, violence, and the list would go on. Perhaps it all started simply where he would just entertain these thoughts, thinking he could manage them. Perhaps it started simple as something he thought, this can't be all that bad. In fact, it feels so right to be so angry at what's happened to me. Perhaps it felt manageable all of a sudden because it felt like this was a way to maybe get back at some things that had happened to him, but it began to be overwhelming. It began to be too much, and soon he's hurting others. He's hurting himself, and he is consumed with evil. Thousands of voices speaking, and all of them here speak as one in submission to Jesus. This shows us Jesus' authority over all evil spirits. They are in submission to him, answering with obedience. And this man is overcome. But Jesus has shown up to this man. If we were to keep reading the rest of the story here, I'm going I'm to shorten it a little bit. So I'm going to give you a condensed version of what's going to happen in verses 10 through 14. Jesus is going to have a conversation with those spirits in this man. And Jesus, with great love, with great authority, will set this man free. He will remove those evil spirits from him. Those evil spirits don't want to leave the region. It's become their home. They are accepted by others. They've just needed a host. They just needed someone to be in, and this guy was it. And so they begin this little bartering situation with Jesus. Hey, please don't send us out of the region. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to send you into this, this herd of swine, this herd of pigs, because these spirits are bent on destruction. He sends them into the pigs, and the pigs violently run off the cliff, fall into the water, and drown. Wow. Jesus sets the man free. 
This man who has been possessed, this man who's been overcome, this man who hasn't been able to have any victory, hasn't been able to have any peace, hasn't been able to have a night's worth of sleep, who's just been consumed, possessed, overcome, who has just been beaten down. Finally, this man gets to a place of rest because Jesus speaks and sets him free. Jesus goes to him. Jesus sees his trouble. Jesus frees him. Jesus casts out the spirit. And now the story picks back up for us again here in verse 15. Because you see, once all of these pigs have run off the cliff, people in town come rushing out. Like, what was that sound? And what has happened? That was our business. That was our religion. That was our worship. We need those pigs. And they all come out of town. Verse 15 picks up and it says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. They knew his story. This wasn't some random guy. I think everybody knew this guy's story. Oh, that guy that's out there by the, yeah, he, he just lives out there. Don't go out there. That guy's crazy. Something's happened to him. Maybe they knew the backstory. Maybe they didn't. But they knew he was the guy who lived out among the tombs. Demon possessed, <clears throat> had the legion, but they see him now and he's sitting and he's clothed and in his right mind. That's what happens when Jesus sets you free. When all of a sudden the fear, the terror, the anger, the guilt, the shame, the bitterness, all that has possessed you, when it is removed, when Jesus speaks to you and frees you from that, it'll cause you to get clothed in righteousness. It'll cause you to sit in peace. And this guy, for the first time ever, was in his right mind. All of a sudden, he had peace where he'd never had peace before. He had hope where he never had hope before. All of a sudden, he saw clearly. His mind functioned as it was designed to. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus who is there. Beautiful story of this man being set free. But it tells us something interesting in this verse about the people in the city. It says, and they were afraid. That's interesting. That shouldn't be the response. If a guy that has been possessed and overcome with all kinds of evil, evil and trouble in his life, if he gets set free, the response should be awe and gratefulness. Oh, finally that man, that poor man is set free. We're so grateful. Thank you, God. But you've got to remember, these people, they're pagan. They're cruel. All they know in their backstory is wickedness and evil. They don't have a, a good picture of Jesus and who God is and his love. And so instead of being grateful for what's happening here, they are afraid. He looks like another spirit to them, something scary, something frightening, and they're afraid of what's happening here. They're afraid of who he is. They're afraid of what's going to happen next. Verse 16, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him, 
There must have been some people standing by that said, hey, let me tell you what happened. I, I, I know what happened. I saw it all. And they tell the story. And it said, they told him about the one who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Can you believe that? Here is a man who sets people free from their troubles. Here is a man who sets them free from all that has held them in bondage. Here's a, here's a man who's, who brings life where there's been just death. And it happens and they say, look, you're going to need to leave. We don't want that around here. You need to get out. I don't know if it was their backstory of association with Jews. I don't know if it was the fact that they were possessed themselves with evil spirits. I don't know what it was, but they did not want Jesus to be around. You have got to go. We don't want you in our life. We don't want you in our world. You've got to get out of this area. You don't belong here. Verse 18. And when he got into the boat... How about that? They say to Jesus, you got to get out of here. And Jesus says, all right. He turns and he gets into the boat. Short trip, short stay. Comes over, endures the storm, meets this man, has a conversation, sets him free. Crowd reacts. You need to get out of here. All right. Jesus gets back into the boat. And it says that as Jesus is doing that, it says that he who had been demon-possessed, this man who had been overcome, who had been overpowered, who had been possessed by such anger, hatred, violence, evil, wickedness, that this man begged him that he might be with him. Sir, 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 G Jesus, please, please take me with you. Please, you, you can't leave me here with these people. They're crazy. I just, I just been set free from all that stuff. Please, please take me with you. Let me get in the boat with you. Would you please let me leave here with you? I, this, everything that's there is my past. Everything that is there is painful. I don't want to go back there. Can I please go with you? This man is begging, Jesus, will you please let me go with you? And he sees him getting into the boat. He sees the disciples getting ready, packing up, and they're about to launch out. He sees the town people. He sees all their anger and their hatred toward him. And he's saying, you've got to take me with you. Please, please, Please let me go with you. You're the one who just changed my life. You're the one who just set me free. Please, please let me go with you, Jesus. Verse 19. However, Jesus did not permit him. Have you ever prayed and asked God for something? Over and over and over again. And he just says to you, I'm sorry. No. 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 That's tough when that happens, isn't it? When the thing you long for, the thing that would even be right to 
to you in the situation is not what Jesus allows. Instead, he says, no, you don't get to come with me. I know that's what you'd prefer. I know that would be, in your mind, easier. I know what's back there is painful. I know what you want. But my answer to you is no. But as we're going to see, whenever Jesus has a no for us in the situation, there's always a bigger yes to the bigger picture. You may not understand why you keep getting no right now. It's because you don't know the whole story. You may not understand why you keep getting no when you keep asking God. It's because you don't know the whole story. You keep wondering and you keep asking and you keep getting no. But it's because you don't know the whole story. Fortunately, in this story, we do. Let's read the rest of it. It says, instead, Jesus told him, go home to your friends and tell them about what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. What? Jesus, you're going to send me back into that? They don't like you. They don't want you here. They're not going to listen to you. And I can almost imagine Jesus saying, that's why I'm sending you. Now you go back in. You go back into the land. And I want you to find your friends. I want you to start there. And I want you to tell them what happened here today. I want you to tell them, he was very specific, tell them what the Lord has done for you. They know your story, sir. They know where you've lived. They know where, what you've been through. They know you were out among the tombs. They know you're the guy that's been screaming and hollering in agony. They know you're the guy who's been overcome. They know your story. Now, go back and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Go back and let them see you different. Go back and let them see you in your right mind. Go back and let them see you clothed and living life in submission to Jesus. Go back and tell them your story. And when you go, tell them how he had compassion on you. You see, these folks in this region of the Decapolis, when they thought of God, their only idea of a God was a God who was cruel and mean. He was angry from sun up to sun down, and if you're gonna do anything for him, you better sacrifice for him. And if you don't, it's gonna make him more angry and more mad, and he'll be even more against you, and your crops will fail, and your children will die. And in fact, you better sacrifice some of your children to him, or he's gonna be more cruel to you. That is all they had ever known. And so Jesus sends this man back in. He says, I want you to tell them how the Lord has been 
compassionate because that is something they had never, ever, ever seen. A deity be good. Mm. And that it was possible to live in peace, in your right mind, not in fear, not in anger, not in resentment, not self-absorbed, not self-consumed, but at peace. And Jesus sends the man back into town. Mm. Mm. Because this man had a story. He had a backstory that was gory. But now he had a new story that was filled with glory. That's what a good story is. A good story always has something that's gory. And it ends with some glory. And so Jesus sends the man back to tell them his story. You know, I told you Jesus was going fishing, and he did. But the way Jesus went fishing here was this. He went in. He came to the the first man that came to him, engineered, designed, intended. He met the man. He set him free, changed his life, turned him around, and cast him right back into that culture. This man became an engineered lure in that day in the hands of Christ. You see, Jesus was a Jew. And if he had tried to just walk into this Decapolis region on his own, just straight walk in there, I know Jesus can do whatever he wants to, but because of the way he looked and where he'd come from, he would have been rejected. But by going in and rescuing this one man, And sending him back, Jesus was totally fine with getting back in the boat and sailing away because he had just started his fishing. Mm. So verse 20 says this, that this man, he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. He went back. He did it. He went back and he told his story. It would have, I just imagine for this guy, it would have been so challenging at first and so easy to have said, no, 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 no. My story is too weird. I've messed up too much. I'm not dare going to tell everybody where I failed, what I messed up in. I'm not going to tell anybody that stuff. I'd rather not. I'd rather not say anything about that. But I'm going to tell you, if you're not willing to share your, glo- your gory story, then the glory story won't make as much of an impact. And so this man gets sent back in to tell the story of his glory and the story of his glory. And he goes back in, and when it happens, it says, they all marveled. He went as the lure back into a region and became the peace that created interest, passion, and desire for some people to come take a bite. Amen? Amen. He had a story. Everybody's got a story. He had a story, and he got to the place where he realized the freedom that he now had was bigger than his fear. He realized that the peace that he now had was bigger than any embarrassment. 
that he might have in telling his story, and that the love he had for others, his own friends especially, was bigger than any shame. I just imagine this man saying, well, you know what, I, uh, I guess I do have a story. I guess I do have something to tell. Jesus has changed my life. Man, he did. I'm, I'm in my right mind today. I'm at peace today. And my people don't know that. I've got to go back because I've got a story. This is my story. He saved me. He changed me. I'm not who I used to be. This is my story. Now, again, we have the incredible benefit and privilege of kind of knowing more about what happens in this story. I want to read to you what happens a little while later in Scripture. This story is repeated in the Gospel of Matthew. And it says a little later that Jesus went back to the same region where they had shunned him, where they had said, no, thank you, where they had said, get out of here. We don't want you around here. But he sent this man in like a lure, an engineered, crafted lure. And later in Matthew, it says this. It says that Jesus departed and he skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on a mountain and sat there. He's in the same region, the Decapolis region. And it says, listen to this. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. All of a sudden, they became a changed people, an entire culture that rejected Jesus now rushed to him because of one man's willingness to go and tell his story. You know, within this room, in every one of us is a story. And in reality, there's a lot more than one. There's a story in every one of us where God is at work or has worked. He's in the middle of it. He's working it out. He's changed you. But there's a funny thing that happens here in 21st century America. We do this thing where we get a little protective and concerned about our image and covering and protective and thinking, well, I don't want anybody to know, you know my, my backstory. I don't want people to know where I've been. I don't want people to know what I've gone through. I just want to tell them that he's good. Jesus is good. That's awesome. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus looks really good and filled with glory when you show them how he changed your gory. And if you're unwilling to share your gory and how his glory changed you, then your story isn't going to have much of an impact. There's a place where each of us have to be willing to say, all right, All right, Jesus, you've crafted me. You've engineered my life. You've engineered the good, but you used it 
against a dark backdrop. And I will no longer be afraid to tell my friends and my family and the people I am around at work, in my neighborhood, wherever it may be, I will no longer be ashamed of my story. I will tell what you have done of me. Amen? Amen. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's why fishing is real life. That's why Jesus uses this beautiful metaphor so that you and I might know what it means to be fishers of men because the people that he will use to reach other people is people. You have a unique story. You have a unique group of people in your life. And God has placed you there. You're not there by accident. You didn't just happen upon where you are. The family you're in, the friends you have, the location you live, the people you know, that's all by God's design. Remember, Jesus doesn't do anything random. He does it with intentionality and design. And when he rescues you out of sin, guilt, shame, fear, trouble, whatever it has been, he intends for you to share that story. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, you do. I once was someone filled with fear. But when I met Jesus, he took all that away. If your story was just that, you will have told your story. Now, you may become more of an advanced storyteller. You may know how to sit down and engage others in the story and then introduce them to other parts of it. But if you're unwilling to share your story, then what you're saying is, God, I know my life is unique, crafted, engineered with a purpose. I know you have redeemed me, filled me, ordained me, anointed me, called me, chosen me for a very specific purpose. You have shaped my life with a unique design, with unique culture that I have been placed in. So I will do what you call me to do. I will be your lure. If not, then you're saying, okay, Jesus, I reject everything that you've done in my life. It really is just random, chaotic, I don't understand it, bleh. There's no hope in that. That is not real life. Knowing that God has called you, redeemed you, is real life. Your story is the lure that Jesus uses for fishing. It really is. And the people in your life that you put on your list for this month, that you pray for, he now says to you, all right, I know you want someone else to do that. I know you want to get in a boat with me and let someone else go and tell them, but I'm sending you. I'm sending you back in. You go back and tell them. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. And tell them how he had compassion on you. When you do, 
you'll experience real life. Would you bow your heads with me? God has designed every one of us here today with a story. That story involves his goodness, his grace. You should never be ashamed of your story. You should never live in fear of your story. Don't let the fear of man, don't let the fear of what others might think about you, don't let the fact that you think your story doesn't match with someone else's story, your story's not gory enough, your story's too gory, don't do any of that because you have been uniquely crafted and designed by God with the story that he has for you. It's your story. Accept what he's done and now do what he says. Go and share it. Tell someone your story. Don't hide it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't pack it away. Tell your story. Tell them what the Lord's done for you. Tell them how he's been compassionate. This is what it means to have real life. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that while we were far from you, that we were consumed in our own sin and selfishness, when we were caught up in our own pride and arrogance and resistance to you, that you made a great journey. You sent your son across time and space to come to where we are. And here you met us. You spoke life to us. You freed us. You took away the chains that the enemy had placed upon us. You took away the anger and the violence and the, the hatred and all the guilt. You came and you removed all that because you spoke your truth to us. You set us free. You called us. You chose us. You set us free to sit next to you, to sit at your feet, to be filled with peace, to be in our right mind. And now you call us to go with that story, to go back to our family and live it out, live differently, and speak about what you've done, to go fishing to let you fish through us. And Father, this morning, we as your people, we come to say, God, I've been hiding my story, but no more. God, I've been embarrassed by my story, but no more. God, I've refused to tell my story, but no more. Because it's a story that you started. It's a story that you're writing. And it is your story in me. And so now, this is what I'm about. This is my story. I'll speak it, I'll sing it, I'll shout it, I'll live it, I'll give for it, I'll live for it, because this is what life is all about. So we as your people commit to share our story and your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. What an incredible message from Pastor Brian. It was such a great day today, seeing everyone come together and just worship together, sit down and really see what the gospel has to say that we can apply to our lives. Go ahead and subscribe while you're here so you can listen to us next week.